0: You used to think you were the center of everything. You thought you were the center,
1: but you were mistaken. More on that later. Secret Cinema, the podcast that tries to make the language of film universal. I'm Paolo Caron, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and we're joined again by Emily Neal to discuss Marco Ferreri's 1969 existential puzzler, Dillinger is Dead, as well as Jim Trainer's animated 2008 short film, The Presentation Theme. Now, the dialogue in Dillinger is Dead is in Italian, so the opening sample you heard is actually from The Presentation Theme. Jim Trainor's film is easily the most obscure film we've covered, but it's still an award winner, claiming the Stan Brackage Film at Wits End Award at the 48th Ann Arbor Film Festival in 2010. In case you're curious, the Ann Arbor Film Festival's website says that that award is reserved, quote, for a filmmaker who demonstrates the utmost dedication to their individual creative art practice. A deep and personal necessity drives this artist to make revealing and thought-provoking work in moving image art that embodies both formal innovation and integrity, End quote. So keep that in mind for the discussion. Anywho, here's Carrie with the plot summary.
0: In the presentation theme, a man travels aimlessly through a bizarre space to encounter his destiny. And in Dillinger is Dead, Glauco, an industrial designer, finds a revolver wrapped in an old newspaper about the famous gangster John Dillinger. Fascinated by the gun, Glauco takes the time to disassemble it, clean it, and even paint it. While his wife sleeps upstairs, Glauco uses the revolver as an opportunity to reflect on his life and decide where the future really leads him.
1: As I mentioned before, Dillinger is dead as an Italian so any direct samples from the film would only be appreciated by Italian-speaking listeners. On top of that, Dillinger's Dead is largely dialogue-free, so there's not many options in the first place. However, Dillinger's Dead opens with a monologue that sets up the film's key themes and symbols. We didn't jot down enough of it to quote it adequately in the discussion, so I'm going to read that monologue here. The monologue is delivered by Glauco's unnamed colleague at the gas mask factory, but there's not much context to provide beyond that. So here's that monologue. Isolation in a chamber that must be sealed off from the outside world because it's full of deadly gas, a chamber in which one must wear a mask to survive, strongly evokes the conditions under which modern man lives. One cannot reflect on this mythical one-dimensional man without analyzing all the characteristics of our industrial society. Nevertheless, a well-drawn metaphor could be very informative and shed light on certain far-reaching consequences that are never explicitly addressed. For example, doesn't knowing that one must wear a mask create a sense of anxiety? Internalizing these obsessive hallucinatory needs leads not to an adaptation of reality, but to mimicry and standardization, the elimination of individuality. The individual transfers the outside world to the interior. There is an immediate identification among individuals in society as a single entity. One's needs for physical survival are met by industrial production, which, in addition, sets forth as equally necessary the need to relax, to enjoy oneself, To behave and consume according to advertising models that render in explicit detail desires anyone may experience. Film, radio, television, the press, advertising, and all other facets of industrial production are no longer directed at different goals. Moving on, Dillinger is Dead fills its dialogue-free core with the diegetic music playing on Glauco's radio... And most, if not all of this music, blatantly underlines the film's themes and subtext. For our last sample, I'm going to play The Moving Finger Writes by The Four Kents, one of the more prominent songs in the film, and conveniently one that's entirely in English. Please enjoy the song, keep your ear on the lyrics, and we'll see you on the other side for a discussion of Dillinger is Dead and the presentation theme. First ever winter hiatus. And first both, ever! Boy oh boy, was it exciting!
0: It was a hiatus!
1: But we're back, and we're back in full force with, with our it's probably our most difficult movie that we've covered so far.
0: At uh, first I thought you were going to say our most mm-hmm. difficult guest. No.
1: <laughs> One of our most charming guests. Emily is here!
2: I, I try, I try.
1: <laughs> and we brought her here uh, to discuss Dillinger is dead. They dragged
2: um, me here! Yeah. But I liked it. it but Emily's not dead. It's a
1: cold night, and it was a warm movie, and... Was it? Yeah, there's a lot of reds and yellows.
2: Oh, I
0: thought you meant, like, in, in terms in of spirit. content.
1: Yeah. But um, <laughs> we watched Marco Ferrari's Dillinger is Dead, and we also watched a short film called The Presentation Theme by Jim Trainer. And Emily, since you hadn't seen either of these, and I, I basically barely told you anything uh what what were your initial reactions to both
2: um i was very interested especially i'd say maybe more in the first one presentation theme um i kept wanting it to move faster to kind of get to the point which was uh it did not behoove me in the second film dillinger is dead because it definitely played out one tiny piece at a time, very slowly, not a lot happened, but I definitely see the, the parallels in them.
1: But did you enjoy them? That's Yes, a I right. did.
2: But I have a feeling that the more you explain to me what I just watched, I'll enjoy it more.
1: All right, well, don't count on that too much, because I can only explain so much. <laughs> I, I did kind of get a lot more, and this is my second viewing of Dillinger's Dead in like fifth or so viewing of presentation theme and both of these have stuff that escapes me so
2: also disclaimer <laughs> i am a literalist and i sometimes have to a hard time with metaphors yeah. and reading between the lines so i love it when people tell me what they see <laughs> and then i like it more but it's harder for me to just pick it out yeah. i thought about that while we were watching it i kept thinking
0: i wonder how emily is reading the scene because i know we've talked about how you take things literally, uh, first. Like, when you were a kid, you had issues watching movies, because you took all animated movies very literally. Yeah,
2: it, like, movies like this make my brain work harder, so it's more tiring. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's true for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: I mean, my initial reaction to this is, I would argue that Dillinger is dead is not necessarily a movie as much as it is a art piece Mm -hmm. that is it's almost like a novel that's visual but for me i read it and i don't understand what i read
1: (laughs) for both of them for both no
0: no i for presentation theme so this is the second time i've seen presentation theme it's an animated movie by apparently uh, an animator from Chicago which I didn't I didn't know he was yep. from Chicago. And I like Presentation Theme, but every time I watch it, I don't feel that I fully know what the artist is trying to say. I just mostly appreciate it for the visuals that he creates and the parallels between the narration that he he juxtaposes. But for me, Presentation Theme there's never that that clear moment where I go, aha, oh, that's what this is trying to say. I mostly appreciate it as an effort by an animator to make something really creative.
1: Yeah, and that's that's definitely fair and I can't but necessarily... But I wouldn't,
0: I wouldn't yeah. say that presentation theme is like one of my favorite short films or favorite animated films or favorite experimental films. I wouldn't say that at all.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> very fair, 100% fair. I honestly would say both of these movies are canonical for me, where they are both favorites. They're not like top 100. They might even be top 200. <laughs> I've seen a lot of movies, but it's, they're in there. They're movies that I, I really love, and I genuinely find them really rewarding to come back to. And I thought the main reason I wanted to do them as a double feature is because they both approach in almost polar opposite ways existentialism. There's like a a sort of elements of existentialism to their approach and to their, their, well, their approach to character and narrative. Like the narrative is almost entirely stripped away in both. And it's like focusing on these incremental developments uh, with heavy emphasis on repetition and minimal effect to get the point across. And so... That's why I wanted to do. Uh, that's not necessarily why I love them, but that's exactly why I figured they But if they'd be they're good.
0: using that to get the point across and neither Emily or I
2: know what the point is, are they effective? I yeah. I don't know. I actually I feel like maybe a presentation theme because again, I'm taking that literally, the theme that in presentation theme can be found in like anything. Like Sure. I uh, I don't know. I I really enjoyed presentation theme probably more than it was even warranted because yeah. it was so simple, but it was also very entertaining for yeah. such a weird minimalist piece. Well, okay, well,
1: let's get into it a little bit. I, I I told you guys this before we watched, but it bears repeating that when I first saw this, when it I I don't think I saw it when it premiered at Ann Arbor Film Festival, but it won an award, and during the award screening, I saw the second showing of it, and the audience just died laughing through the whole thing like laughed at everything that could be interpreted as a joke it's one of those movies where if you aren't clued in that it's an art film you would assume it's like some sort of ironic joke like it's
0: almost like uh don herzfeld rejected yeah commercials like that thing.
1: sort of thing where it feels like that and then if after you watch it or you just kind of give it like a like a more focused watch you realize it's trying to do something very specific. It's not necessarily silly, but it's just willing to go to certain places with what it's doing that are just silly because they're unexpected and bizarre. And um, well, the two the, the the key quote that I wrote down because it really was kind of why I I thought of the double feature and also it gets to the core of the whole movie is the line at the beginning where the narrator says of the main character you used to think you were the center of everything but you were mistaken more on that later and that's like the whole the whole of the short film is getting at this idea of this reckoning with one's place in the universe and the idea that you assume that you are the center of the universe and or uh, most of us have to deal with that idea of like when we talk about this in Clifford, the idea yeah. of like when you're a child, uh, you see you see the world revolving around you, and as you get older, you learn that it doesn't revolve around you. But sometimes, if you get even older, you learn that you don't really matter at all. Like you have almost no function or place, or your function is so obscure and specific that it's kind of um, it's kind of uh, soul shattering to know if you were actually to have like a God's eye view on what your point is, it would kill you. And this sort of idea that this, this man, this man who exists, uh, assumes like thinks of himself or at one point thought of himself as the center of everything. And it seems that his only function is to die. Like his function is to die for this princess. This princess will cut off his head and drink his blood out of a goblet and based on the environment he walks through he's not the only person she's doing this to there are, as, no, is they also...
0: bounded bounded realities where there are people above and below and as
1: she as the narrator says for after all all naked men look alike and the mm. main character is naked and all these other men so going out of their way to and emphasize and all their
2: penises are put on the sides their of little their bodies or yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> how else are
2: you supposed to show ship- What's the word? How else are you supposed to know that they are subverted? Subjected. Sub- Subjected. <laughs> Subjected. <laughs> to go with is the
1: narrator, is that even a word? Subjected. Yeah, it's totally a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like very obviously a word. <laughs> but yeah, so that's uh, yeah, and you're right. I was going to talk long on <laughs> but that's yeah. that's kind of what I got out Called of it. The- is it's like all that minimalism and repetition. I mean, that's to a certain extent seems to be part of his style, though I can't really base that on having seen anything else of his. But it seems like the lo-fi nature isn't necessarily reflecting the content as much as it is his means of animation. Sure. Uh, he, like, just looking at frames of some of his other stuff, like, it was, I almost watched The Bats by Jim Trainer a couple days ago. And The Bats is also similarly line-based. I think it's white lines on black instead of black lines well, on white. Well, and
0: there was some of that.
1: Oh, there was some of that in this, too. But it's... Uh, so there might be... A, I haven't seen the movie. So, But, uh, yeah, he's... I think that's what he is trying to do with this. Trying to explore this, like... I mean, it's a very very straightforward idea of, like, maximalist ego versus ego death and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, I
0: would not say that the presentation theme was as difficult as Dillinger's did. No,
1: death. <laughs> yeah.
0: Presentation theme is relatively straightforward due to the narration. And the visual is so simple... That there's not a lot of complicated material. It's just a matter of interpreting what the narrator is saying in context with the visual. Yeah.
1: Oh, and another thing I should have also. This-
0: yeah. They, I, I don't know if you guys caught this, but at the beginning of presentation theme, it says that it's inspired by or based on a book.
1: Well... What I was under the impression of, and I could be wrong, but I read somewhere that it was inspired by something he saw on a, a, a pot, like a clay pot from a long time ago. And it might have been in that book, but he saw a picture of a clay pot and something on it, it was like one of these figures that is in the movie or something like that is what inspired him. But yeah, it doesn't have like, even if it is adapted from something, it it isn't like intended to be like, oh, you should know this, or it, that background is necessary. It just seems like he is playing with themes and mm-hmm. imagery from whatever it is that inspired him.
2: Um, I really like the sounds, too,
1: yeah. uh, in mm.
2: presentation theme, but I liked the way the narrator said "What the blood is strewn all around around your nose and mouth. You know this because it is represented by dots. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of what maybe, and you're totally going to explain this better because <laughs> I don't really know, but in Dillinger is Dead, basically your perception of things is because of what you're told by all the media you're surrounded with through whatever lens we look at the world. And that could be totally wrong, and this is a stretch, maybe. That you you know what it is based on the context of... Uh, what you're told. Yeah, I like the dots parallel between.
0: That's a good parallel. The yeah. <laughs> presentation theme and Dillinger is dead. The dots on the gun. Yeah. Ooh. And the blood. The dots yeah. on the gun. And the gun is red. Yes. It yeah. is of, really good, Emily. Yeah. yeah. It's I perfect. Love that
1: a lot. Yeah, it's a, just like I was saying, this movie, presentation theme is kind of the inverse of Dillinger is Dead, and that's like a perfect in, visual inverse. We got it. We yeah. solved nice. it.
2: <laughs> you got the key, and we unlocked it. You know there is blood because it is represented by dots.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of stuff with the narration where she's going out of her way to be like, and this means this, mm-hmm. or this is what this is. The one I wrote down because this is such a big part of it is the we take your nakedness to imply subjection and defeat like uh, this sexuality and weakness is being like very blatantly linked. And the key moment of presentation theme is when the main character gets this blood strewn field and finally gets to the top of the stairs and meets this princess, the princess reminds him of his mother and he has this flashback. Uh, do one of you want to describe the flashback? (laughs) Or should I just uh, keep talking? No,
0: you don't have to keep
2: talking. But I don't really want to describe the flashback. We
1: well, can shorthand and, it. I mean,
2: his unfeminine mother, so he's suckling at his unfeminine mother's teat while a masculine figure uh, has butt sex with yeah. her. You can say anal. Well, her like, anum. Or as
1: as they say, uh, not in the normal way, but rather her anum, Q horrific organ music going in like very dark <laughs> Ooh, and evil organ organ music nice. well and and like the fact that the baby i it seemed like what the idea was that is <laughs> I, I, this is needlessly and specific that also- but i just going to solve this is was the baby the baby was under the woman but she's kind of under a blanket, so the man doesn't even see the baby? Or is it... it No,
0: okay, so my interpretation... Also, the imagery that's used where the baby is suckling on the mom's uh, tits, that is the first image in the the whole animation. So it's repetitive again. Yeah. But... My interpretation was all of the women in the animation were covered by that like bodysuit. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't I didn't think, I think of it as like a blanket. But well, there was that blanket but I don't think the blanket was covering the Anum sex. No, that no.
2: could just be like the obvious thing for the animators. Feel like that's the priestess who reminded him of his mother wore the same outfit. Oh, Those sure. were the only two female figures. Oh yeah.
1: Well, I'm just saying because specifically the because they show they go out their way to like show and animate the blanket during that scene and they vis- they they verbally reference it, but. Because the, the, the whole point of him remembering that is, like, being, like, even in that moment, even when I was a child when I most thought the world was about me, I was being hidden, or I was, like, this third person that my mother had to deal with and just put in the room somewhere to take care of so that this sexual act could occur between that the two. That seems like
0: bad parenting to have anum sex while your baby's in the
1: room. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> I think, like, that's real proof that the baby doesn't matter. Like, to the, oh, the sure. really... I think, like, that's... That, what a clear sign that your mom doesn't give a shit about you where she's like, yeah, just, just fuck me. <laughs> just fuck <laughs> the baby will not remember this. Uh, also, and just thinking too about kind of like this, there's like a, circ, a circular quality to all this and talking about the existentialism and the sort of idea that he was important and now he realizes that he's not important at all. Uh, he asks the priestess before she kills him I'm I, I, sorry, I, I don't remember who exactly says what, but the, the exchange happens where someone says of the man, uh, or the man says, Before I was born, it was as if I never existed. And the princess basically oh, yeah. says, he Yeah, asks, and kills him.
2: He asks, What will it be like? What will happen when I die?
1: Yeah. It, I and it will be as if I never existed, which truly means he is not the center of everything. The center of everything when they die will continue it's like the Kim Il-sung principle of like he's not eternal president when he dies. He is he is gone. He, it's as if he never existed, just like before the movie started. Like he is as important as he was before we even turned on the movie and didn't even know about it. It's like exactly the same thing.
2: Yeah, it is bounded by the top and bottom.
1: Yeah. There you go. That's another good yeah. But um it, shh <laughs> <no>, it's solid <laughs> yeah.
2: Reverence, joke Watch it, guys. Watch it. Then you'll get all the rest of it. It's on Vimeo.
1: And, yeah, it's, well, there's, like, a four-minute version. I had to buy the Ann Arbor Film Festival. I think it's, I want to say it's the 48th uh, Ann Arbor Film Festival DVD, which I highly recommend to anybody who's into experimental film. It's one of the best uh, collections of, of just experimental work that you're going to find especially from from filmmakers you've never heard of it's really great one last thing I also to that me-
0: festival is pretty fun to go to yeah
1: well it was sometimes it, it was I don't know because they changed leadership a lot since then but I hope they're great because there was one of the the formative experiences of mine as like of uh, someone who studies film and tries to make films it's like really important I just want to mention one last thing about this so then we can move on to I have one last real- thing. okay well let's Ooh, you, last you do things. yours you do yours hey
2: the phallic images that also kind of tie into is Dead, yeah. there's three phallic images. There's literal penises drawn all over the naked men's bodies mm. to show their shame or subjection. Mm. There's a, a mammal-headed snake, which yeah. seems to imply the danger because it enters <gasps> it. Snake! Snake. Yeah. Mammal-headed snake, which enters it, same time we see that <gasps> there's blood. And then, um, at the end, the priestess, who has a goblet representing more fem- femininity, and then a screw representing a phallic image, she ah. kills the man with the screw, which, you know, I'm just yeah. going to interpret that as, like, toxic masculinity is going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> also, the snake and Per Annum. Yeah. Also, Dillinger is dead. There is a snake in a butt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the one thing I wanted to mention, I just wanted to mention that the intro for presentation theme, there's a title that comes up and says number two in the Nascent Humanity series. And I looked up the dictionary definition of nascent just to like be really thorough. And it, it basically said it's uh, nascent is when something is just coming into existence and is beginning to reach its potential. And mm. applying that... To a story of a man who. How would you use that in, in
0: a sentence?
1: Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, like I, said, I had to look it up, okay. so I, I'm not a master at this word. You could
2: describe it as like uh, like a movement in history, like at the in, before the, the nascent ens- period or something, or like uh, the nascent time before the actual Renaissance, maybe. Oh, sure.
1: But okay. but using nascent humanity as like a descriptor for a film in which a person essentially. Uh, comes to reckon with the fact that their potential is basically summed up in being killed and consumed is, is, I don't know, it's just like a really interesting thing. I don't know really how to sort it out. Like I said, this isn't a film I, I totally know, but I thought it was worth mentioning, and anyone who's going to watch the movie should also consider that too. But if no one else has anything else to say on presentation theme, then let's move into Dillinger is Dead. Let's move. Right.
0: Let's continue moving. Yes. So, Dillinger
1: is dead. Um, 1968.
0: 1968. I, 50 I, years before the presentation theme.
1: Yeah. Oh, actually, cool. Another sort of... I guess it's not a connection. That's something was released before <laughs> the thing, but whatever. <laughs> uh, <coughs> but, um, yeah. Dillinger is dead, I saw once in college a long time ago. With a buddy. With a buddy. Alex Rue, if you're listening, love you, man. Uh, We watched it, and I loved it. Uh, It was just one, but I also had no real understanding of any of the subtext at all. I just was, like, surprised that this movie, uh, and actually, this is the reason I wanted to cover it, was because I remember that nothing seemed to happen in the movie, but I also remember being, like, entranced by it. And... Like, I I never... When we watched it, uh, we even started it late at night. I want to say we started at like 11 at night and watched it. Oh, my God. And just nonstop, never paused it. I don't think we talked during the movie. And it just... And I remember, too, the ending. The ending hitting so hard when I watched it the first time. And so, I wanted to watch it to see if I could understand why it worked. And I don't necessarily understand why it worked the last time, but I got a lot more out of it this time. And I feel like I, I don't, again, I don't have a mastery of it. The ending really beguiled me this time, but the core of it and most of the symbolism, I have a decent idea. I think I could give a shot <laughs> explaining some of it.
0: Good, because uh, I feel like I am perplexed.
1: You're perplexed?
0: I just wanted, so I, I guess my, my perplexion comes from I feel like nothing happened.
2: I just wanted a script print that out so I could see all the the quotes the or, quotes from the beginning yeah. that was like so this guy the main character designs gas masks and then they talk about this guy talks about um oh Paolo's gonna explain it I just wanted to <laughs> a print out of that the whole time to as the yeah. lens as the gas gas <laughs> mask yeah. to yeah. see it through I I
0: As uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, Emily, you've mentioned before that you are, like, a literal viewer. And I'm very much a visual viewer, where I notice visuals first. That's why I'm a real sucker for production design and great directing. And this movie flowed really well. I'll give it that. There was no moment where I was confused about what was going on, uh, like, in the context of the content of the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I, the character moved seamlessly from room to room in his house and did specific tasks, and the director followed those tasks very well. What I am having a hard time grasping, because for me, it wasn't very visual. It was definitely more uh, auditory, is what the subcontext is. I feel like anyone could watch this movie and completely miss all of the subtext.
1: This guy did.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that's you, Paula, you mentioned what while we were watching it, Images, the movie. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like the first time I watched Images, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> this movie is so stupid. <laughs> A woman goes crazy in her house and there's animals. But the second time we watched it, I really enjoyed the symbolism and I I felt like I understood it a little better or had some more context and I knew what was going to happen next. So I wonder if Emily and I watched Dillinger Is Dead again, if we would get more out of it. Yeah. Well. But I also uh, wonder if this is one of those, like, masculine experiences.
1: There's a couple. I'm, I'm so glad you said that a lot of what you said is great setup for a, a bunch of things I wrote. Okay. So Emily pointed at one thing in my notes, so I might as well just touch on this. The part of the reason I kind of knew what to look for in the movie is because I read the Criterion booklet. Of course <laughs> you I, did. I had The Criterion, DVD. of course yeah. you those did. Are, the essays are always great in those. But one of the quotes, I wasn't. Oh, it was not a quote, but they said that Marco Ferreri has described himself as fifty percent feminist, fifty percent misogynist.
0: He's described himself. That he way?
1: described himself that way.
0: Uh, what kind of self-realization is that? <laughs> That doesn't seem like a very uh, effective self-realization. That seems like a
2: person in maybe the 70s describing himself. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's this it's, guy, right? Yeah.
0: He's... This was 68,
2: so...
1: Well, I, I, we, and again, we haven't really seen any of his other movies, so it's hard to yeah, really... That's, that's it's true. hard to really generalize in terms of, like, by all accounts, this guy's a very political, accomplished filmmaker, and I learn the names of most of his movies today. This is a huge <laughs> blank spot for me. But um, I'll, let me read the the what I wrote down of the gas mask quote because that is really the core of the whole metaphor. Of the and movie.
0: that's right at the beginning. It's right at the beginning. It's like the first thing that happens it's, in the movie. Yeah, and
1: it's one of those things that.
0: And it could easily be missed.
1: It could very easily be missed. Like I told, I tipped you guys off, and I wanted to write it all down. And after I realized it was going to be really long, I stopped. And I, I think I'll put it in the show notes. Or something. So if you're hearing me say this now and you didn't hear it put in the show notes, then I decided not to. But uh, what I wrote down was isolation in a chamber that must be sealed off from the outside world because it's full of deadly gas strongly evokes the conditions under which man lives. C- and then the that's said in regards to... the are gas-
0: testing a gas they're at a,
1: Yeah, gas mask factory and the main character whose name... Is never mentioned, but is Glauco. That is his name. That's his name <laughs> in, in the script. It, like I said, they never say it during the movie, but according to everything I looked up, his name is Glauco.
0: Yeah, actually, you mentioned that they named both the women.
1: Yeah, the ev- basically yeah, everyone else, it, the, the other two characters have like some sort of.
0: They get a name,
1: but yeah, uh, but Glauco, uh, he he designs gas masks, and his one of the guys he works with is telling him all this these metaphors about how a gas mask and testing a gas mask in a chamber or like like wearing a gas mask and surviving deadly toxins while trapped in a chamber is very much what life is like that's like the metaphor for life and after he says part of this long quote glauco says i don't want to design any more masks like i like like a a mask is something that protects you from the, the, deadly the deadly gas, gas. Of life. i don't want to design these masks that is the core metaphor of the
0: whole entire movie of the entire metaphor he's removing the mask from his face
1: he's he is he is trapped in some sort of chamber of deadly gas at least in his perception and he is slowly over the course of the movie removing that mask and leaving that chamber Hence, kind of why the the majority of the movie takes place in the house. Like, that's why it's a big deal that he leaves at the end, is because he has been in that chamber. Now, what exactly... Man, that
0: 50% feminist, 50% misogynist thing is starting to make sense. Yeah.
1: But, and that's the thing I kept thinking about, too, during the movie, is what exactly does Marco Ferreri feel about Glauco? Because Glauco is the main character, but Glauco... Nothing he doesn't We don't
0: learn anything we don't, about we him. We don't learn
1: anything about him. We I mean we're watching uh we're watching a subtle depiction of his mental gears turning. That is literally what the film is. Yeah. Uh, it's we're watching a man slowly transition from being a normal man, a normal middle upper class Italian man, uh go from having just like a normal home life to killing his wife sleeping with his maid, and then joining a, no, a yacht they, to be a cook.
0: They have, they slept together? I thought they just, licked like, honey. L- yeah, like, licked honey and laid in bed together. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, <laughs> I, I just took it as, like, the, 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 that's the function of it. Okay. They, we don't have to see them have sex, essentially. There's some sort of, again, too, I don't necessarily know how much of, like, Italian social subtext I'm missing with stuff like that. Okay. But that's how I took it, where it was like, it was some sort of transgression where because he's trying, but it starts, he's he's cooking, he comes home and takes care of his wife. He isn't like mean to his wife. He, his wife doesn't do anything in the movie that makes you hate her, that makes us hate her, that makes him yeah, hate her. Yeah, it seems
0: more like she was sniffing a lot of gas because she just like Dozed yeah. off. I
1: have a headache. I need sleeping pills. Well, and that's what I... I was kind of wondering... Because I was thinking about that. I went into it with that quote in mind about him thinking of himself as 50% misogynist. And so I was like, okay, is what is it about the women? Like, what... Is there something in the depiction of the women that I should be paying attention to? And it seemed like, if anything... And I don't know to what extent it's being put on the gender, but at least his wife... Seems to be, yeah, like you said, the the deadly gas that is society, that is this life that he has put on a mask to live in. Uh, she doesn't she's, have that concept of a mask. It is life for her. Yeah,
2: she's already succumbed. Like she's just so complacent that she can't even like get up to do anything. She's just like, yeah. this is my life. I'm going to be in bed for hours, and yeah. Can, he just like can't stand how. Complacent she is, maybe.
1: But also, up until the is point... Is that
2: why at a certain point he goes, even though
0: she's, like, drugged up on sleeping pills, he, like, goes and tries to play with her? He, like, puts the like, like toy snake in yeah. her butt?
1: <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's towards... that's The gears have turned significantly by that point. Sure. I would say that if, if we're gonna... I, this movie does not have a three-act structure, but if we were gonna try to put a 3x structure on it the the act one turning point the thing that sets everything in motion is the gun falling out of the closet sure. up until that point i mean he does have that like i don't want to make these masks anymore but beyond saying that nothing he does is any different from a Well yeah he even person.
0: asks her like what can i do for you he comes can, yeah can i help you and he's really nice to sabina but yeah, once he finds the gun, and he's making dinner for forever. Yeah, well, because uh. he, he,
1: goes, he goes, his wife made him food, he goes to eat it, he doesn't like the food for some reason, so he goes and starts making himself a meal, and takes a while. But when he's making that meal, he, you, he has music on, but nothing he's doing is abnormal. Nothing suggests a mental well, process you, other than just You like,
0: said all the music is pointed as well.
1: It's really pointed. You well, said you wrote down...
2: Just the, there's one song that I loved, it was in, well, whatever it is, it was in Italian, but it said, here and there, I love my freedom, I love my freedom, over and over again, it's Mm. like, it's like that, um, really happy, upbeat, I love, I'm so happy song, and that's before he finds the gun. Really quick, though. The conversation I've been trying to remember of the guy, he after he tests the, the mask in the chamber, they go back to that guy's office, and that guy's like flipping through a magazine and is talking about how people consume film, radio, other media, advertising. Yeah. What's the core of what he said? Because I'm trying to get... That was the more important thing that yeah. I was trying to
1: remember. I, I honestly, that's the part I remember the least. I do remember enough imagery in there like do you remember the moment when he's he's flipping that magazine he finds the image of a guy with a machine gun and he shakes the page as if the machine yes. gun is firing mm-hmm. and um we're also seeing these advertisements and everything like that and then once once we get to the point where he finds the gun the first thing that he interacts with isn't the gun it's the newspaper it's a form of media right. and it's granted it's like not necessarily a manipulative form of media it's like flat reporting but from there we all on top of that we also have the music which is like commenting on like not maybe not necessarily what you are but like here's how people feel or here's what the like here's the type of music that everybody likes and then he turns on the tv and the tv is showing like those beautiful women with their lipstick and everything—I can't remember exactly. It was talking young about.
2: girls asking what they like to wear.
1: Yeah, young girls asking what yeah. they like to wear, and he plays that the the whole movies eventually. And um, there's like little well, bits of all Hollywood. The, all imagery. the young
2: girls get asked when they started wearing lipstick. Yeah, and if they wear mini skirts or nylons. But like, I I really wanna maybe find that quote real quick, because he... I could he, not find
1: any quotes from the movie oh, online, because yeah. the
2: guy talking to Glauco was like, yeah, what I thought the gist of it was that the things that we perceive, like, it's changed us to make us more complacent and comfortable with wearing our masks yeah. through things like film and TV and radio, all of which Glauco consumes one by one later at home. Yeah. And is slowly re- where he's like, after that conversation, he consumes all this different media and then has that snapping point. Yeah.
0: The quote that I wrote down, and of course I didn't write down where it was from mm-hmm. or when it was said, but somebody is discussing the idea of being a cinema physiologicalist. Oh yeah, I wrote down a quote or, from this scene too. Yeah, or, uh, I might be saying that wrong. Uh, but it, the idea that they come about is that when you consume media like that, you're confronted with what is the idea of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, too, ties into the idea that Glauco is trying to figure out who he is without the gas mask.
1: And I'm so glad you brought that up, because the quote I wrote down from that exact scene is when the guy on the TV says regarding who he's talking about, Quote, then he rebels and begins altering his perfect image. Whoa. Yeah. That's what I was saying during the movie. It's like if every time I tried to like write something down, I'd be like, there's another symbolic trigger. That's and being this introduced is, on and screen.
2: And dubbed, so you can't listen and write. Yeah, yeah. but like it's so it's funny. it's such a weird experience because
0: we watched the movie, and while we were watching the movie, I I honestly I was like bored out of my mind, <laughs> yeah, and fair I almost fell asleep twice, and I took I barely took any notes, but at the same time, while I was watching it, I was like, I know this is really dense. Yeah, I know that there's a lot going on that's just not on the surface. But at no point did the movie really make me care about it. Well, And that's I, I why think... I think I would like it more the second time. That's fair. Because, it, it, like you said, it's just like images, where the first time I watched it, I was like, this doesn't matter to me. But now, you know, like discussing it and getting at what was the density of the movie, it m- matters more.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, just in terms of why, at least I feel like it's so easy for me to appreciate something that is, like, just obviously difficult. Like, it's nothing against you guys that it would... You work. just
0: like difficult things.
1: I do like difficult things, but there's... A, you know me. Like, I don't like The Master, or There Will Be Blood that much, or because those movies are boring to me. Mm-hmm. But this is really entrancing, and I think the, the the story I wanted to mention that I feel like gives some context why I like this... When I was in my, um, I had an acting class in college, and it was, I don't remember what the specific focus was or if it was just general acting, but we had to do this exercise where we picked a scene from a play that had no dialogue, and we had to fill in what the person was doing for five minutes. We had for five minutes in character, a character from a real play, we had to do them doing what they would do in their environment without any prompts or anything. Just be like, okay. Like, one guy in the class had John Proctor from The Crucible, and so his scene was, like, coming home from being in the woods, undressing, uh, washing his hands, stuff like that. I got Waiting for Godot. Do you guys know Waiting for Godot?
2: I've seen Waiting for Guffman. That's the same. (laughs) Yeah, same thing. Well,
1: Waiting for Godot is almost entirely two guys sitting on the side of the road. It's already just that. I had to take that and remove the other guy. And there, so it was just me by the side of the road. And for five minutes, I had to believably sit on the side of the road for five minutes like a real person would do. And I remember doing it and being like, oh, okay, I'll play with my shoe. My teacher being like, no, why are you doing that? You're trying to look busy. That's not what a real person does. A real person has no audience. What are you when you're not Being watched and watching this movie, it's like that dramatic exercise stretched to feature length with subtext filled in underneath it. This like watching watching this man, it is it is sort of boring by what it has to be because to show this like the one realistic yeah. I mean the the the
0: impressive thing, like I said earlier, the impressive thing about the directing is that he consistently represents
2: the mundane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I felt so, because I sometimes get bored very easily, but I did not in this movie, because I felt so easily at home in this guy's home, yeah. because sure, he yeah. shows the same room, which is kind of rare for a lot of older movies, to show the same uh, room in different angles each time. Yeah. So yeah. you feel like you really have a grasp of the space. You really understand where he is in that space and how he moves. You don't often see room to room how it flows. Yeah. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, it was a cool Italian house. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was a very cool I Italian the,
1: house. I thought the production design was really great. Especially considering how little there is to show and how they can't heighten it too much. Because that would distract from... You can't have a movie that looks like Motivar and then have the main character do nothing and express nothing. Sure. That's, like, too much of a divide. But it's just colorful enough and just visually interesting and colorful. Yeah, there were some enough. really
0: strong art pieces in the house. Yeah,
2: and just, like, they, like, did a close-up slow... Like, slow going through all the spices on this spice rack. Yeah. And I thought it... I For me, it flowed... In a sense that it was, like, comfortable for me to watch, and it was good. Yeah, I I really agree with that. The only uncomfortable part was when he was, like, seducing the maid, and then when he wasn't eating. (laughs) (laughs) You were very upset about that. He comes home, and he's gonna, he's, he's... Says he's hungry. He fixes a plate to eat, and then he just, like, looks really sad, and doesn't want to eat it, and there's, like, a half a lemon on the, like, (laughs) on the plate, And then, he, what does he do? He opens a book, looks at a picture of a steak with a recipe, and he's like, oh, that's what I have to eat now. He's so easily moved by a recipe book, which I thought was like, oh, this, I definitely, he's going to be so easily influenced by the things that he sees, like he's going to watch something or hear something and be affected by it immediately. Mm -hmm. So I should keep my eye open for that. He made a steak. Eventually, guys... He did eat. Yeah.
1: Yep. We and, watch him eat. And it's weird that, that you mentioning that, how to like think about it back in the movie and food clearly is some sort of very important symbol that escapes me in this movie. Like I, it's cause it's so much of the action is food related. The ending essentially. The, the watermelon. Film, the film resolves itself. Yeah. The watermelon is involved with the seduction scene. Honey is involved with the seduction Ugh. scene. Um, yeah. Like, when he shows up, his wife made him dinner, but he doesn't want to eat her dinner. He wants to eat
2: his. because he's not sure how to consume things, even including media, where at the end, he's going to make his own. Yeah. He's making his own reality to consume. I want to make a quick shout out that's totally tangential, but I took a course in
0: college about sex, gender, and sexuality where we had to watch movies that that go through sex, gender, and sexuality. One of the ones that always really stuck out with me is our teacher made us watch Nine and a Half Weeks with Mickey Rourke. (laughs) And is it Kim Basinger? Yeah. And it is not a good movie. I'm just going to tell you that right away. Not a great movie. But one of the things that I remember about the movie is there is this absolutely amazing food seduction scene where I can't remember which of the characters is blindfolded. It's either Mickey Rourke or Kim Basinger, but one of them's blindfolded and the other basically opens the fridge and then uses everything in the fridge to seduce the other person. And it is so hot. It is like ridiculously hot. And this movie had a scene where somebody was being seduced by food, I guess. But it was, it involved honey being poured down the woman's back. And that is not sexy.
1: Well. (laughs) (laughs) And it, but <laughs> that
0: in is just sticky. That's <laughs> sticky and that's it. That's the end of the story.
1: But in that scene, what I think it's before the honey gets put on her, she says to him, why do you find me sexy? And he laughs and never actually answers the question. And the honey thing, So too, maybe he
0: doesn't find her sexy. That's what I was
1: thinking. I, I, I don't think he actually is attracted to her. I think it's a transgressive act. It's an attempt to, like, destroy his world. In mm. some sort of way. Of, like, breaking a taboo or transgressing a boundary or something like that. Mm. Something that only can, like, when he does it, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't affect his life in any way. But killing his wife is, like, the ultimate transgressive act because he cannot go back. It permanently changes things. It permanently makes him an outlaw or Dillinger or whatever exactly the transformation yeah. is. But, uh, but like, he gets
0: away with it. Yeah,
1: but, but uh, he the whole idea of, like, I feel, that's what I assume with that seduction scene is that he's, he's just doing it because he's like, well, I want to break out of what I do, what I'm supposed to do. This isn't something, this woman obviously feels comfortable enough in the house, but she doesn't really seem afraid of him. It's not like he's like showing his power over her. He's just doing it because he's like, yeah, why not? Can I do it? Can I do this thing? And then he can. But it doesn't actually reward him, so he's like, "What's the next level I can take it to?"
0: Mm.
1: What? Okay, I want to bring up this symbol because I feel like this is gonna be another thing that we can all talk about instead of me just rambling. Uh, do you notice in the in the scene where he's eating that that table that he's eating at? You notice there's a big poster for Futurism yes. behind it. So. I looked up, again, the Wikipedia definition of futurism, just so I have it, and it's the social artistic movement emphasizing speed, technology, youth, violence, cars, airplanes, and industry. And if we remember- That's a
0: lot of things.
1: Oh, yeah. But it's like, you kind of <laughs> see what the connection is between those. like At least by, implied by the word futurism. It's this idea of progress. Like, things that, when you see them, indicate- maybe not good progress but a progression from the past of sorts like youth is a progression. he is not glauco is not youth and glauco does not move fast he doesn't he's not driving around fast in the end but he's watching those, those oh, he
0: never moves fast
1: but we it, he's watching <laughs> when, at one point on the tv he's watching and it's like race car footage or it's like point of view of a car and it's just driving down a road we see those boats with the the steam shooting out we also see the just the the towers of industry shooting smoke out, which he also ends up driving towards the column of smoke at the end of the movie. Um, and violence though, and the violence, the idea of violence being attached to futurism and the fact that if he is like, I, I don't know, it seems like to a certain extent that is because bl- it's so blatantly framed in the shot. It's like front and center. Every time it appears, And so many of those things that Wikipedia associates directly with futurism make very blatant appearances in in the movie. And so I was just wondering, what do you guys think of that? What do you think of, like, the subtext of, like, old versus new in this movie? Or do you not see that at all?
2: (laughs) I, that... I didn't think about that at all. all right. <laughs> I didn't even notice that poster. I, I wouldn't, for
0: me, I wouldn't say that that's as strong as a theme as the other things we've touched on. I'm Just because, I don't know, I, I don't really see this movie as having a lot of technology in it. Like, he watched old film, home movies, and he did But drive- he came
1: out in 68... He's watching a film projector at home.
0: Okay. This isn't like. Fair so just, yeah, it might be yeah. like a time contextual thing, but yeah, yeah I, I did notice the futurism poster because it was very blatant, yeah. but I don't think that that's as strong of, of a theme as some of the other things we've touched yeah. on. I mean, there's like. like the I pla- think it would be very easy for us to read into that, though.
2: Well, yeah, because even. Um, where, was it on TV, or somebody says it, some, there is mentioned, somebody asked, do you think there will be a war soon? Oh, I don't remember that. No. I thought he, like, maybe he asked his wife. It's there's very definitely... possible
0: I didn't, I don't remember it <laughs> because I I was not paying attention. No, somebody
2: <laughs> definitely asked, do you think there will be a war soon? And, like, it's kind of like that, it, that turmoil of, like, the violence of... Progression and moving forward quickly at a at an exponential rate, and um, obviously the usage of the gas masks are—it's um, all kind of just like makes you very uneasy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and I well the reason and I, a gun. Yeah. Well, the reason I, I bring up the futurism thing is because everything I read about this movie describes it as his Marco Freire's most political and angriest movie. So there is. <laughs> Uh, there is a political subtext that he must everybody like a who loves. Really it,
0: nice guy normally <laughs>
1: everybody who loves it gets the subtext. And actually, I was reading about some of his other movies. It doesn't exactly sound like his other movies are any nicer. Like one was a movie called The Ape Woman, and from I, I just found out about this movie today, so I could describe it wrong. But it, the rough plot outline I read said that it's like this guy. Who is is was with this woman and she's really hairy and so he like exploits her hairiness and her sexuality for profit and I would absolutely
0: watch that movie. Yeah,
1: well, it's but it's like
0: absolutely. Yeah,
1: but yeah. yeah, So he's but he is usually making like blunt social satires. Yeah, and and
0: that's the thing is that this didn't feel blunt.
1: Well, but uh, that's the thing is like it
0: feel bleak. Yeah. Sure.
1: Well, and that's... I was kind of... I, I kind of broadly saw this as, like... I, I i still have a tough time pinning down what exactly bourgeois is. Because I am... I'm definitely not bourgeois. I, I don't think I'm... I'm growing, up, growing up in a farm community, I think I'm, I'm permanently outlawed from being considered bourgeois. I'm
2: definitely a little bougie.
1: <laughs> but it seems like...
0: <laughs> We're in that shawl yard.
1: It seems like that's... It's a cape. That's the chamber... That he is isolated in, is the bourgeois lifestyle. And the mask is the mask of complacency of, like, I am okay with this. I am okay with coming home from work, and my wife is upstairs, and so I just sit around downstairs. Yeah. And do nothing. The dull, and, ordinary. And what gets introduced is... I, it's like I don't. I, in my mind, I want to say anarchy. When the gun falls out of the, the closet, it suggests anarchy to me. Not just because it's violence, but because the gun has no logical reason to be there at all. Like, and and what you think of when you think of a bourgeois lifestyle, you think of a lot of order and a lot of like you can rely on. the the people who live a bourgeois lifestyle can count on things happening at this time. And we're going to meet these people and do this. And it's a very predictable life because you have like a certain amount of privilege and accessibility to things. So you can just count on them and having the, this thing appear in his life, this like relic, but a relic that represents a time further back when this person who was, like, murdering people and was an outlaw. Like, at no point in the movie do they go out of their way to be like, John Dillinger, famous bank robber, it's John yeah, Dillinger and his s- gun.
0: Yeah, we even said that the gun was wrapped in the newspaper about John Dillinger.
1: Oh, yeah, about his death. Yeah. And, like And so he unwraps the paper and reads the paper that says, like, uh, jealousy, uh, jealousy they, trap uh, catches Dillinger or something like that. And they
0: show old footage of John Dillinger and even... They even show his dead body.
1: Yeah. And and so, I guess I'm, I'm, again, I'm just rambling, but I, I was wondering to what extent, because, like I said, they, they said, and I, I checked on Wikipedia, and we, Carrie and I went on the tour for this, so I, I heard this from a bunch <laughs> of places, but Dillinger, part of the reason he was caught was because there was a woman he was seeing, and her, um, I don't want to say pimp, but the woman who like ran the brothel that that woman worked at tipped off police and so when dillinger went to a movie with his girlfriend and this other woman the other woman let the police know and he came out and he was killed and that that's the paper he finds when he's unwrapping the gun about the jealousy trap and so i wonder to what degree that is reflected in the thing that finally allows him to escape his chamber is killing his wife like to what degree is symbolically his wife he doesn't hate his wife but his wife represents like being shackled to a certain type of lifestyle, and by destroying her in his mind or in like, in like at least in the reality of the world, he seems to be destroying his bourgeois existence permanently. Like he can never ever go back to being the person he was once. The once She's once dead. the maid goes upstairs and finds her, like the maid is in that house. Sorry, uh, and so. That body's definitely going to be found. Like, he turns up the music to shoot her because he you knows someone's going to hear. Someone's going to be nearby mm-hmm. and find it.
0: If that's it, they
2: really don't focus on the wife at
1: all. No. I was
2: trying to think of a, a parallel. I don't know much about Dillinger's life. I don't remember anything from the Johnny Depp movie, The <laughs> <Public laughs> Enemies. <laughs>
0: Well, he's a he's a
2: robber, right? Yep. But he I, he didn't like have a certain moral code or no. um, anything distinctive, really. No, it was,
1: I, it, it's all public enemies concept of he he's public, like ever it's he's not just some criminal they have to worry about. He's a criminal that is famous. Yeah. Like, he's like the
0: guy on the wanted posters. Yeah, John Bon
2: Jovi yeah. wrote about him.
1: His yes. life is nothing, <laughs> yeah. His life is Bed nothing but, like, he- adventure and excitement and, uh, like, I'm, I'm gonna go here and i out of the bank and if I kill somebody then I'll run to this place and kill this person. Why do you
0: need a hooker? He could have probably just gotten a lady. Yeah, I can see you him. Yeah, I'm a famous rapper.
1: Yeah, but yeah. she's, I mean, at the same time, I'm sure, to a certain extent, he's a human. He wants a person who at least is, like, I got like the understands. the lady
0: of all the land. <laughs> he, apparently he could afford it.
1: Yeah, but... <laughs> But at
0: what cost? Mm.
2: He died.
1: His life. Mm.
0: I, uh, can we talk about the car for a
2: second? What was on the car?
1: Yeah, um...
2: His escape car? Was it watermelon?
1: Watermelon. I I thought it was like raw meat, but yeah, watermelon makes more sense.
0: Yeah, because when, so when Glauco finally leaves after killing his wife and looking in a mirror, uh, (laughs) hand mirror... He goes out to his car and there's like shit on his car.
2: Oh, I thought it was like a tomato. Yeah. It was like I, swish, swish, swish he doesn't thread. wipe it
0: off, he just looks at
1: it. Yeah. So
2: and then there's like
0: a guy in the parking lot and then he gets in the car. Yeah.
2: Maybe it is a little watermelon. I was
0: trying to figure that out and I was like, well, it must not be that important. He
2: did eat
0: <laughs> like. A whole watermelon with the maid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really want to do that. Not with the maid, but I want to eat a whole watermelon. With your
2: Paolo.
0: Yeah. yeah with Well, with anybody. Emily, we've eaten a whole watermelon together before. Oh, yeah! That was fun.
1: <laughs> I want to talk about some just... Because you mentioned that. that I want to talk about some really specific pieces of imagery. because, Like the
0: hand dancing? Yeah,
1: well, there's a, a couple things... Uh, throughout the movie, that are specifically getting at this idea that reality is blurring for Glauco, like not just that, like oh, I'm changing the point of view of like I, I'm a bourgeois guy, but I'm, I want to be this rebel. But there's also this thing where, like, every time, the, even before he finds the gun, when he's watching the girls on TV where they're talking about their makeup and their skirts, he talk, he like, he's like little girl, and he like gestures at her. And he's yeah. like, he does it very passively, but he does it. And then there's that later scene where he's projecting the films and he's talking and he's like narrating. And he's re- like when the naked women are on, he's like reaching for their ribs. To group. But girl. then once that one woman is like looking directly into the camera, he stands up and is like looking right at her. Those and, are
2: really interesting scenes. I yeah. love those.
1: Oh, and like the bullfightings too, where he's like he has like oh, a, yeah. the cape and he's like practicing it's like Oh
0: and even when he sees himself in the video and he notices his bald spot so he covers yeah. it on his own head. Yeah, I missed that. I totally missed that. So, but yeah,
1: there's like a thing where there's like something very clear where we're ta- you're you guys are both talking about the the way in which media seems to be influencing or media is an influencing factor and the fact that for him it's not just inf- it's not just influential, it's like becoming reality to him. Like these, like, images of, like, beautiful women aren't just these things that are he's projecting onto a wall. It's a thing that he can step into and interact with and grab. He just, if, it's, if anything, I, I, again, I, I it seems like. That's kind of the idea of him killing his wife. Is again, it's not because like I'm killing my wife so I can fuck this woman, it's like I'm killing that life where I can't actually reach these things. I want these things, I reach out for them, but they're ethereal for me. Mm -hmm. And now, when he gets on that boat at the end after killing his wife, and there's that woman who decides that yes, he will stay, and like that sort of thing, it does it seems like. That, that middle section where he is really just cleaning his gun and doing nothing, it's, in his mind, It's his mind is having this presumed battle over staying in reality and then going for this, like, heightened, dreamlike reality that seems achievable. It's yeah. so close.
2: I mean, he even treats the gun like a toy. He's, like, pointing it at his eye, he's, like... You know, he spray paints it it and takes the time to paint polka dots on it like it's just, yeah, like it's a toy. Well, yeah, he he uses it as as
0: decoration.
2: Yeah, it's not real, and it isn't a real tool until he actually puts the bullets in. Well,
1: and you also notice too, before he goes to kill his wife he at least mimics suicide multiple times. Like, once when he's Mm. watching the movie, he does that thing where he puts it, so it's like shooting himself in the mouth, and he, like, pantomimes his own death. Mm -hmm. And then when he's in the bedroom with his wife, he, he doesn't immediately go in to kill her. He goes in, he's listening to music, and he's looking, and he's pointing the gun. And I feel like that is him contemplating ending the bourgeois lifestyle by ending his life. Like, just being like...
0: He also has that scene where he has the... I don't know anything about guns. What's the <laughs> the the circle thing that holds, chamber? Yeah, the yeah. the chamber. Thanks, Emily. Where he has the screwdriver, like, yeah. and the the chamber, and he's like poking himself in the eye.
1: Yeah, that's another like that is definitely like a suicidal image. It's not necessarily an attempt, yeah. but it's like one of those things where it's like all I can think was like. It looked like he had the screwdriver I, right against his eyelid.
0: I still don't understand why he cleaned the gun and then was like, "Well, now I'm going to spray paint it." Well, cause, well, and what did he put it in a
2: bowl? Disassembled it, put it in a bowl, pulled, poured olive oil. Well, the, the over solution it. he
1: poured on it, it was it was similar to what you um like you know when you get pennies and you're cleaning pennies? Yeah, yeah he like, put
2: it No, it was from the same thing that he put in the cooking pot.
1: Yeah, oh, it I th- was
2: olive oil. I thought,
1: was, I, I, th- I, was, I thought I saw him put other stuff in there, but I think that was the idea, was that he's cleaning stuff off of the guy. Maybe
0: it made it easier to, like, g- wipe the grime off. I don't know. Yeah,
1: because the way he found it, it wouldn't have been... It wouldn't operable. Yeah. I don't
0: think they had Gooby gone in the
2: 60s. Gooby gone! Gooby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and another thing, kind of on the blurring of reality thing... Uh, Kerry you pointed out a bunch that there's illustrations of gas masks throughout the house. And they're like clearly diagrams that he has made for work and everything. But there's two moments relating to those. There's at one point, the gas mask illustration is right next to the wolfman. And Glauco is standing there playing with the gun. And the gas mask with a picture next to it of a lit like a Hollywood mask. Like the wolf like there's this sort of idea of like it seems like he's trying to just visually suggest this idea of like the mask being like monstrous in some way. Uh and then that you notice that after that it happens, he points the gun at the Wolfman photo and the Wolfman photo falls Mm, from the wall and disappears. Mm. And then there's one other um Oh, yeah, and uh, right before he points the gun at the gas mask itself, he, like, holds it right up to it, and that's when he starts heading up to his wife's room to kill her. Like, after yeah, that, yeah. He, like, con- he's, he's contemplating killing the, the mask, he's contemplating killing himself, and then he kills her. And that is, it's, there, you can see, like, little by little, it's all, like, it's, yeah, the first time you watch it, it's really, it's, you're just watching the basic action, but... You see the little bits of like mental adjustment as this
0: does seem like a movie that does require multiple viewings.
1: Yeah, it's just a really tough movie to talk yourself into watching again.
0: Yeah, (laughs) like I'm so glad that we didn't watch it twice.
1: Yeah, and I knew you (laughs) wouldn't want to watch it twice. It's yeah. Well,
0: even when we watched images the second time, I was like, I don't want to watch this movie again. Yeah. But then, I mean, after I watched it again, it was better. I will say that.
1: Yeah, but images is still really tough, and I get that I'm one of the only people who really loves that movie. <laughs> but yeah, images is okay. tough.
0: Let's
2: talk about this ending. Yeah,
1: let's. Do, you, do one of you want to really just describe what happens in the ending?
2: I don't really remember. Besides, like, <laughs> so he shot his wife. So he goes to the coast, and he
0: drives to the coast. He takes all his clothes off, puts on his little orange towel <laughs> towel. Yoga? His
1: towel What did we
0: call it? His toga. Yeah. Tiny toga. Tiny toga. Um, It's this bright orange toga. He puts on these two ornate gold necklaces. Like, like, legit, old, Egyptian-style gold necklaces. Not Italian- Chain gold necklaces. He this, does
1: have one of those at one he point. He does
0: have one of those, <laughs> but this is like it's women's jewelry. That yeah, he it's has on. it's like costume jewelry, jewelry you'd see in a museum that they put on kings and queens in you know the four hundreds or whatever.
2: Lady from the sixties. There you
0: go. So he's wearing these gold necklaces. He's wearing his orange little tiny toga, and he dives into the water. And he's swimming around, and he sees this boat. Goes over to the boat. The boat is. <laughs> the more I think about this, the, the boat more is
2: dumping.
0: Yeah, the but the more I think about this, the more it's just so ridiculous. It is
1: absolutely that's it's genuinely baffling. <laughs> Thinking back so, on
0: so he swims over to his boat. The boat is having a funeral for their cook, and the cook is in a body bag. And then they dump the body bag into the ocean. Or sea or wherever if they are. If it's Italy, it's
1: got to be Mediterranean yeah. or, like, Adriatic. Because that's
0: legal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but
1: it's, it's right to, near a beach, too. Like, you have to assume it's illegal anyway, but it's, like, not even trying to be subtle yeah. about it.
0: And he's so they, they they have the funeral. They dump the body. The body almost lands on Glocko. He's, like, swimming right like, next like, to where yeah. the body gets dumped. As soon as they dump the body, Glocko climbs onto the boat and says... Hey, so you need a cook? I'm a cook. I'm a pretty good cook. And then he talks to the, I guess he's like the captain. And the captain says, well, yeah, we do need a cook, but you got to talk to the lady. She's the boss. So he goes, he talks to this teenage girl in a green bikini. She doesn't say anything to him. She says to the captain, have him make a chocolate mousse. And then she takes one of his gold necklaces, and that is basically the end of the movie.
1: Yeah. It's, there's there's
0: like, like some red imagery with the sun and blah, blah, but that is the end of the movie. Yeah.
1: And that is a little tougher to <sighs> interpret. And, and other than like, it's, see, it's just like a crazy fantasy. Oh, you killed like,
2: your wife, here you go. Here's a sexy teenager who you're going to cook for now on a boat.
1: Yeah, but it, and it,
2: escape to Tahiti because that's where they're going. They're going to Tahiti. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's one question that I was wrestling with because, like we said before, it doesn't seem like Marco Ferrari necessarily endorses any one person's actions or mental process through the movie. So. Is that ending supposed to be... A, it's not supposed to... I can't imagine it's supposed to be a happy ending. Like, you're not supposed to watch it and be like, yeah, good, I'm glad he got away. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, like when, he, when his wife dies, it is shocking. It maybe, is, like, genuinely... Maybe
0: what he's saying is... Is that Glocko went from one gas chamber to another.
1: <sighs> yeah, I wonder.
0: Because technically he has now shackled himself to this boat, and he has a new job where he's a cook. And he has a new boss who's a woman.
1: But at the same time, at least in terms of like symbols, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong because I don't know, but in broad (laughs) symbolic terms, it seems like the open sea is the literal opposite of his small house. Sure,
0: but he swam in the sea and he was feeling free, but then he got on a boat.
1: But he got on a boat because he wanted to. Like he, 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 They didn't yeah, invite I mean, him. I don't up. Know. No, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to like. <laughs> ri- we gotta interrogate the metaphor a little bit to see if we can get to yeah, the point.
0: Right. Yeah, I genuinely don't know because <laughs> the, the ending, the ending was by far the most interesting part of the movie, but it made the least amount of sense.
1: Yeah, I know. I, it's, I feel really shitty as a, a film an analyst <laughs> trying to be like, yeah, viewer, we just don't know about the ending, but it's. It, yeah, it's not even like...
0: Write that. us at thesecretcinema.biz dot 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 biz slash don't know <laughs> at ghonky.com. <laughs>
2: at
0: duh.com. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Emily, what did you think of the ending? I don't know. I almost thought that it couldn't have an ending. That because of what it wanted to do, there... It's... It's an ongoing struggle for everyone that wants to push through and kind of make their own world or whoever has an existential crisis in their in their life there is no end to you to, to the crisis yeah or that's fair maybe there is maybe everything is bound by the top and the bottom
1: <laughs> there you go. nice we're going to back
2: but uh um and that we're all the least important well I'm- yeah and yeah, me I mean, it's, it's not so much what happens to him, it's that he went through that struggle. So I don't really care what he does at the end, it's that he went through that process at home.
1: Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking now, too, like I was saying before about the gun, when the gun shows up, the gun truly appears out of nowhere. There's no reason for the gun to be there. And the boat also kind of appears out of nowhere. And then, like you have said, everything that happens with the boat is so weird, like, the body is, like, they're clearly illegally dumping a body, and they seemingly don't give a shit that, uh, like, after, when they dump the guy, the, another, they're like, All right, a stranger back to- climbs on their boat, it's like, I'll take his job. <laughs> and then, like, also the oh, boat. Oh,
0: and the stranger is wearing gold necklaces and a tiny orange toga.
1: And the. But he's,
0: they're like, yep, and, you're the
1: new cook. And the person who runs the <laughs> boat is like, the most beautiful woman that's appeared in the whole movie at this yeah, point, yeah. or at least like the most sexually presented woman in the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. And so it seems like it does. It just, to me, it seems like it, like the gun, it is intentionally, uh, fantastical for a reason. It's not, it, it's, yeah, it might be that it's like a, like a fan, but his fantasy is a chamber. As much as he thinks that this is like, oh, this will be my escape, or he sees it and is like, cool, this is my adventure that I'll go on now that I'm free, and he ends up leading himself into a chamber, because life is a series of chambers, <laughs> it could be that, mm-hmm. or it could be some other, some political subtext about Italy that I just don't get. <laughs> There's like, It seems like there could be quite a bit of that in this movie. Yeah.
2: Everything means something else, and nothing means anything. Everything is Nothing.
0: Where it's all the blanket.
1: It's all the anal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go.
0: That's what Dennis, uh, or Dennis, that's what Dustin Hoffman meant to say, but David O'Russell Russell was like, no, we're going to go with blanket. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and here's a burger, and here's an orgasm, and that's the anal. <laughs> all right, because it seems like we're starting to wind down, um, do you, you guys have a favorite image or moment from the movie like just a moment where you're like that really worked like it doesn't matter what it was or if it's a scene or just like some moment that stuck out to you is interesting because it is like we've kind of described it. it's very symbolic and it's very straightforward but there are these very artistic compositions and moments and the one I wanted to cite, at least, and I'm clearly setting up something I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I was is, gonna say,
0: Do I it.
1: I want, I, like I said, the, sh- the when the wife gets shot, it is really shocking. It was shocking the first time I saw the movie, uh, and it was still kind of like surprising this time too, because it just nothing that forceful happens the entirety of the movie, and then suddenly someone is shot in the head three times. But the composition of the shot with the polka-dotted the red gun with white polka dots pushing into that pillow is such an amazing shot. It is like a, such a gorgeous and weird composition and especially the contrast between like a pure white object and then this like very colorful object but the the colorful object is the violent object and that like the like obviously the red and the the implication of blood and there's just so much happening with like so little i just like in, in the whole movie there's like other little moments but that really stuck it sticks with me it's like the image that defines the movie for me more than anything and uh yeah it's i don't know just a really amazing shot it's amazing how he can still find ways to have these stunning visual moments in a film that is like defying all attempt to be uh, a conventional movie i guess where else are you going to do experimental things except for an unconventional movie
0: yeah i i really liked the dancing hands as a visual
2: yeah actually all of those where he was watching different movies on the projector each one presented it kind of differently like in one of them, like the dancing hands, it was it almost... shot from behind where you could see his head. It was, But it was really dark and earlier he was watching another home movie and the room was, room was more light and it was from a slightly different angle uh-huh. and he was moving. I don't know. Because he's just watching home movies, they had to do something more visually interesting to it. But yeah. I liked it.
0: Yeah, let's go to teachable moments. Okay,
1: well I have one if you guys... Need a moment. <laughs>
2: I
0: have
1: two. Oh. Are you ready? Do you want to go? Yeah. yeah do it.
0: Well, so my first one is about Italian directors. Yes. <laughs> so, I've, I would not say that I'm an expert in Italian cinema. I've seen a fair share of Italian movies. Um, Most of them directed by men. Yep. Uh, if not all <laughs> of them directed by men. And there is definitely... A theme of misogynism and uh, like the conflict with women in power
1: yeah i mean you could even apply this to eight and a half in the oh that's, that's all ten. i'm thinking yes. of that's like
0: <laughs> all i'm thinking of is eight and a half and um what's the other one we like even rafifi yeah and
1: <laughs> Dario um, argento movies yeah jesus christ <laughs> uh
0: yeah there's just like this real problem with having like uh, developed female characters or women in power, or there's just, like, this struggle with, like, masculinity that I do find really interesting, but at the same time, it's also very frustrating to watch. You would make a terrible Catholic. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, I'm not one, so that, uh, that's fine. But the, uh, so that, um, I just wanted to kind of point that out. It's not really a teachable moment as much as it's, like, Italian cinema- has this really fascinating masculinity-femininity conflict yeah. within its history, and
2: especially like when you think of machismo imagery, oh. you think of what bullfighting. Yeah, that's in this movie. Oh, and that's why I talk to her is so fucking good. Oh. oh my
1: god! Well, and we still there's a couple, that's not
0: Italian, but still,
1: and you have you and I have to watch. You, you haven't seen any Vittorio De Sica who is like the definitive, empathetic Italian filmmaker. Okay. And then Pasolini, who's very famous for doing portraits of prostitutes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so there are filmmakers that are Italian, but yeah, you're right. The The prominent Italian films, or films even made by Italian-Americans, tend to be very <laughs> masculine. Like Scorsese is the, a great example. Oh, sure. Of a great director who doesn't really write women that well, or doesn't do no. good female characters, but men, sure as hell, can get into the depths of masculinity.
0: Yeah. I just think it's interesting that that is the Italian trademark in, in film, is like the the masculinity femininity conflict whereas like you look at french cinema their big thing is like what is life what is romance you know <laughs>
1: yeah
0: that like <laughs> what is the purpose you know i hate to use that voice but that's how it feels when you watch those movies yeah. and then you know american cinema is very much about like the individual yeah and danish uh filmmaking at least from my experience is really about like existentialism yeah. and religion yeah.
1: and south korean films are about family or yeah. Like,
0: yeah and so on and so forth i'm just saying it's like very interesting how a, a country's or the uh a cinema's location or ethnicity really dictates what the film is about, which yeah. is probably something pretty obvious. but oh,
1: yeah, but it's it's uh, it's always worth mentioning. That yeah, you ha- you have to keep it in mind, no matter how apolitical a film seems, that it comes from a culture that in some way created it. Yeah, like e- even if, like to even to the extent of like a person who lives in the United States but was raised for the first ten years of their life in like. I don't know, like... Russia. China, China. China or something. Yeah, that, yeah, it's gonna... That is gonna seep in there a little bit. Yeah. And and also, it just... Really, yeah, because
0: it shapes your viewpoint.
1: And I was too thinking the masculine uh, versus feminine uh, elements of the presentation theme. Oh,
0: so... <laughs> There's very blatant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely.
1: No, <laughs> so I don't know if... Is it is it... It seems... Now that like I said it, it's kind of weird to describe like sex and breastfeeding as like, Masculinity versus femininity. <laughs> I would say versus yeah.
0: more like a plus sign. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: But okay, so my second teachable moment just goes back to what I said earlier about second viewings mm-hmm. and how there are a lot of movies where the first time I watched them, I was like, I hate this. I really wish I had not experienced this. I have very violent first reactions to movies, and sometimes that can cause me to miss out on what the movie is actually trying to do. So I just want to encourage people to give things a second try. Uh, Sometimes it pays off.
1: Can you think of a movie besides images that you, I mean, obviously you you don't love images, but can you think of a movie that the first time you saw you hated it, and then when you came back around, you're like, Whoa, I actually really like this. I'd have to think about okay. it. I
2: remember you not... This is not a movie, but I remember you not liking The Office. Oh, sure. And look at you now. <laughs> I still have a lot of trouble with a lot of The Office. Yeah.
1: But that's that's kind of a point. You're supposed, to, yeah, he's supposed yeah. to watch it and feel awful to a certain degree. Yeah,
2: and I don't really like to feel awful on purpose, so... I yeah. love if it. If it makes me laugh,
1: I will love it. I mean, that's, that's,
2: I, it's basically, when I can relate to it, it's like I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we all need.
0: Yeah. The only movie I can think of recently that I had such a like violent, negative reaction to, I always come back to this as After Earth. Yeah. And I don't think I'll ever watch that movie again.
1: The one movie I thought of for you, but you haven't watched it twice, was when we watched Margaret. And while we were watching Margaret, you were like, this is really stupid. And then afterwards, <laughs> I was like, but Carrie, it's doing all these things. And you're like, oh, I, I see now. I mean, yeah, and then
0: for a week afterwards, I thought about that movie, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so great. Or like, oh, I remember this. Or, oh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I do think I'll get a lot more out of Margaret the next time I have three and a half hours to set yeah. aside oh, but it's to watch good, it.
1: It's such a good three and a half hours. Yeah, <laughs>
0: so- and I... I While we were watching it, I didn't hate it, I just was like... you just,
1: it seems like there's way less going on than there actually is. Well, and
0: again, there was a level of symbolism that I just was not picking up on, or understanding. Because I I really, I really resent this, (laughs) but there are a lot of movies where you need the right key in order to unlock them, and... I would say that Dillinger's Dead is definitely one of those movies. It's like
1: half Coen Brothers movies. Like oh, every, Jesus Christ, yeah. Chris, yeah. <laughs> and
0: and But like, Margaret is definitely a movie where yeah. you need the key in order to unlock it, and you gave me the key after we watched the <laughs> I don't movie. want to spoil it.
2: <laughs> mine? Yeah. No, mine kind of goes along with that. You're a teachable moment? Yeah, unless you want to Teach though. away. Well, it's not really teaching, but it's like... I was, And I couldn't think of anything as we were talking about a teachable moment for this, but I think uh, kudos to Mr. Corone because I think sometimes when you have somebody that's able to curate something, like, let's watch this movie and this short, like making a playlist... When you put certain things together, when you play them in a certain order, it does flow better and it can make more sense together. Like, movements in a piece rather than, oh, here's a thing, it doesn't exist in a vacuum, but we're just going to watch it on its own. It doesn't fit yeah. because you're watching it isolated. Paulo's really good at that.
1: Yeah. I just have seen thousands of movies (laughs) so so i'm glad that worked for you guys good i i I, well i i I was not i'm not gonna lie i assumed we wouldn't have much to talk about (laughs) And you were wrong but i was like i was like cool this is a chance to get in a a a short film and yeah just presentation theme has been on my mind lately
2: but presentation theme I would have a harder time getting into that right headspace for Dillinger instead without presentation theme. Because presentation theme, the way it looks and the way it sounds is more distinctive.
1: Yeah.
2: And more cutting. Like where Dillinger is dead because it's older. Sometimes I can be a little bit dismissive about older, older, especially off foreign movies. Because they do tend to be misogynistic and I don't really care <laughs> to pay yeah. attention yeah. to it. So... Yeah, the, the presentation theme at least got me, like, amped up enough where I was like, my brain's moving.
1: All right, cool. That's exactly really the the best thing I could hope for, <laughs> the, a short before a movie. I just uh, I just want to make everyone have fun.
2: Or at least, you know, read about something and then watch it. Or listen to us talk about it, then watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hello
1: po- All right. Um, so my teachable moment, I've been trying to, um, I've been thinking about this a lot, Carrie got me Notes from this, uh, notes on the Cinematograph by Robert Brisson. Uh, again, I never know how to pronounce his last name for sure. It's French. And that sounds right. It's, it's close. I hope I'm close. But anyway, um, Carrie bought me that book uh, because he is one of my absolute favorite directors, not just in terms of his filmmaking, but his philosophy of filmmaking. And a big part of his films that really excites me a lot uh, is his attention to detail not in terms of aesthetic detail but in terms of like what life is and what people do there's a focus on the minutia, and he he is a man escaped is his for me it's, it's his absolute masterpiece and a man escaped is a depiction Uh, moment by moment, increment by increment of a man escaping. And there's no forced drama. There's barely
0: any dialogue. You you
1: know from the title of the movie that the man escapes. And so he's... But he builds suspense and he builds emotion out of you watching the way in which piece by piece this plan comes together. And and watching a movie like Dillinger is Dead it excites me because it's incredibly rare to see something that I would say is Brissonian and that the use of detailed moment to moment uh, filmmaking. Most films are about big picture things, or... Or there's uh, a lot of cuts. Or there's just a lot of rush, because the, you, there's a lot of story to tell. I mean, I love Scorsese, but could you imagine Goodfellas, if Goodfellas was shot like Dillinger is <laughs> dead? Or, like, A, like a Man Escaped, or it was, like, every single thing Henry Hill does is, like, shot in real time, and you follow his hand as it reaches into a drawer and pulls out <laughs> a fork or whatever. Like, it would be exhausting. But, when... When a person commits to it or decides, like, they want to focus on one person or they want to get to, like, inside someone's head, it's such, in, I don't know, that's what I think is what enraptures me about this movie is there's, like, a spiritual quality to films that focus on, like, active characters. Characters who are thinking and doing things and you aren't being told what they're doing. You're with them as they do them. And it's, it's rare. I was trying to come up with a list a couple days ago of movies that do this because it's really there's very few movies that aren't Brisson films that do this and Dilder's Dead is one of them, but um <clears throat> yeah, it's something that is really rare and I hope more people watch movies like this to study it as a technique. Like I said, it's not always useful but you can do a lot, and is Dead, there's no complicated screenplay. I, I doubt
0: it costs a lot.
1: No, and actually, I found out in one of the interviews I read, I can't believe I didn't mention this sooner, but uh, Michelle Piccoli, who plays, uh, uh, what's his Blacko. name, Glauco, um, he said that Marco Ferreri didn't really direct him in this movie. He was like, alright, these are the things that have to happen in the scene, but go wild (laughs) and so like this movie isn't even written to the degree where the director was like all right so he walks into this room he grabs this object and he makes this it it wasn't even thought out that hard and it still gets this like it has this level of complexity because it's so willing to immerse you in the detail of it
2: yes yes I love that, and because I've always had such a lady boner for Link later, this is is reminding me of the scene in Before Sunrise when Ethan Hawke is telling Julie Delpy about how he would love to just, he doesn't want to see mindless reality TV, he just wants to see people in their homes being who mm. they are. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, oh, he's so right. That's what I want to <laughs> see. That would be,
1: people oh, need to be
2: more real. Ethan Tell Hawk. me more. <laughs> and yeah, that's. Uh, and I, I've never forgotten that line, even though I've forgotten a lot of the rest of that movie. Uh, so you're right. You know who hasn't seen that movie? This guy.
1: Oh, no. He yeah, hasn't I have not seen any of them. I've been holding out for the Criterion box set, because the Criterion box set uh, of all those movies comes out in like a couple months. That's so. we'll, have
0: to, we'll have to binge I, all three. I love Link later.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah,
0: I mean, I've seen all of his movies except for, what's the last the one in the one? Everybody before? Everybody Wants Some. Oh, yeah. and I, Well, I haven't seen Everybody Wants Some, but I also haven't seen the last of the before <laughs> series. Which
2: one was that one? Before. Midnight. Midnight.
0: Midnight. Yeah. Yes.
2: I also have not seen that. I'm saving it. Yeah. He's great.
1: Yeah, he really is.
2: All right. Side track over. Yeah. we're
1: Yeah. We're, uh...
2: <laughs> I had to tie it in. That no, I like that. Yeah. It
1: was a really yeah. solid tie-in, but now we're just talking about how much we love Richard Linklater. <laughs> so I think it's time to say goodbye. Uh, my name is Paolo. <gasps>
2: so long, Farewell. I'll be the say Uh Bye.
0: Carry. Carry out. Emily. Au revoir.
1: <laughs> this has been The Secret Cinema. Thanks for listening. cinema is produced and edited by paulo Carone. all theme songs and original music are written and performed by ricardo Ortiz. any additional music or samples are taken from a film featured on this week's episode all logos and artwork are created by carrie chafee you can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash pauloherasmus. Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema podcast, on Twitter at covert celluloid or like us on facebook the secret cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of u.s copyright law the secret cinema is a product of larry Leafy productions all rights reserved thanks for listening
0: well then you find yourself in an unbounded landscape